So what's going on, everybody? It's up for the Cloud Chaser TV. We back up in this thing again, man. We got a special guest online. Uh, can you introduce yourself for me? Peace, peace and power. Peace and power to the family of the struggle. Uh, my name is Karim Johnson, you know, better known as Blizz, B-L-I-Z, out of East New York, Brooklyn. Uh, husband, father, activist, you know, brother, soldier, true representative of the universal truth of all people. Salute to you all. Salute, brother, salute. Blessings, um, you touching our platform. So like brother So like brother, um a lot of people who don't a lot of people who don't know your your know your, you know, your, your, you know your come up take them back, take man. back like, man. Like, I know uh, you speak behind, you the scenes, behind the scenes and a lot of people and a lot of people wouldn't know like when like, you started the whole the whole you know, going out to the general public and uh and uh doing something bigger doing than something bigger than yourself telling me starting me started in like nineteen seventy nine. Speak on that speak on that well, I can speak on my beginnings. My beginnings come from my uh, my father, my first enlightener. You know, my father was uh, one of the firstborn nation of the universal nation of gods and earth, and actually studied with, walked with, and uh, was arm in arm with the father, Clarence 13X. Uh, so he was my first enlightener. Uh, taught me everything about the nation of gods and earth, about Islam, and uh, that was really my beginning. This comes from in the household, you know. Uh, he practiced Islam uh, and named me after his uh, his uh, first imam, you know, because he made a, a, a transition from the nation of gods and earth to the nation of Islam. And then uh, started practicing uh, Orthodox Islam under the Sunni faith. So from him, I got that knowledge itself. Uh, from my mother, my old earth, who was more than uh, a black nationalist. She was somebody who was really, really serious and committed to our people. So my uh consciousness my awareness of self came from me being born into it you know i was birthed into it um everything that was in my household revolved around it so my studies uh came at a very very young age you know i had to read uh huey's books i had to read uh the mouse red book i had to read che Guevara at you know uh, 9, 10, 11 years old. Uh, my first Ramadan was at 10 years old. Uh, you know, this is something that is not new to me. I was birthed into it. And as far as the political activity goes, uh, my father worked for a lot of nonprofits. He ran summer youth programs, and he always helped uh, on a campaign trail with any local and uh, city government officials uh back in his day you know my first uh walk with him in that realm uh came around 1979 1980 uh, as far as gathering signatures for petitions and handing out leaflets you know when we were uh pushing for one of our first uh 
black elected congressman of our district in East New York, Brooklyn. So, you know, my, my, uh, my studies go back that far. So with that being said, brother, sorry for the delay. Um, mm-hmm. Now, when you when you coming up, what was some mm-hmm. of like the hardships in the beginning? Well, the, the hardships in the beginning was just basically like with your uh, whole mind state. My mind state was uh, something that was more environmental. Like I came up in a household. Like I said, with my father, who was a great man, was very intelligent, but um, just like uh, Father 13X, uh, he was involved with, you know, alcohol, drugs, you know, they, you know, he walked with the father and the father um, introduced him, you know what I'm saying, to drug use and things of that nature. So even with them being all wise and intelligent, you know, they all had vices. So, you know, while I was a child and up until my preteens, he held it in check. But um, once he fell a victim to, you know, his alcoholism and things of that nature and the environment that I was in uh, streetwise, which is one of the most uh, dangerous places, dangerous sections in Brooklyn, you know, I fell into the street. So the hardship became, you know, just like anybody else, man. When you when your parents are falling off, you know, you go through financial struggles. Um, you're trying to figure out how your hero is falling off. You know, it took a little mental uh, strain, and I had to, you know, for you know, lack of a better term, man up. You know, I didn't have any siblings uh, until my little sister was born, but um, you know, we took to the streets. You know, it's not like our parents were absent or we didn't have father figures around. We're talking New York City, you know, uh, late 70s, going into the early 80s, you know, men around, but not around. You know, you could be present and not be present. So that was where where the hardship came in, having a little bit of knowledge, a lot of courage, and no direction. Gotcha. Like, well, how did you address a lot of that? You know, once you start to see that it is a hardship, how did you address it in the beginning? Well, in the beginning, you know, I was always, you know, brought up to be respectable, you know, loving in a home. It wasn't, you know, no physical abuse in a home. It was something that was more, you know, like I said, mental, financial, you know, emotional. Uh, once it really got to a critical stage finance-wise, um, you start looking to the street, man. You start seeing how dudes is coming up. This is, you know, right at the cusp of, uh, of hip-hop culture. And that being introduced and me being a part of the growth of that, you know, you, you just, you know, you took, take to the streets. Especially in Brooklyn, uh, this was, we talking pre-crack era. So everything in Brooklyn was, you know, we ran with older dudes or older guards. They was into robbing. It was into fighting, you know, it was into things of that nature. That was your 
kind of rites of passing. You couldn't really come outside if you didn't have a knuckle game, you know. So you wanted to be like these guys in the street. And that's what my struggle was. My struggle was not having a, a, a older brother, you know, or older cousin or older, you know, uncle to guide and navigate me through that. You know, I was running with the older guards or, you know, the older hard rocks in the street, and they, you know, had me conditioned to be this, you know, ultra-aggressive person in the street. It wasn't where you can showcase your intelligence. It was more what can you do with your hands and what did you have the courage to do in the streets. And that's where the struggle came in at, you know, when, you know, your father is falling off, but he's not of the street, you know. Like I said, he was one of the intelligent people who kept a job, you know, but had, you know, vices. So that's the struggle when you're a young man coming up in, you know, in the early 80s like that. No, definitely, definitely. So is that like, you know, getting into like that? A lot of people don't know that. You help a lot of brothers, you know, get back in tune with their kids and, uh, mm-hmm. you know, figure out some things that, like, just like you, you found about yourself and find out about yourself is key. So, like, uh, you know, moving forward, what was, like, some of the, the first way you started getting involved with that type of activity? Um, well, the fast forward through a lot of it, um, coming through, uh, coming up in that, you know, first steps of the hip-hop generation and things of that nature and being a person who was always, you know, uh, in the front person, you know, I was never a follower, you know. Um, I picked up a lot of things on the way. You know, I also, you know, graduated high school early, uh, went to college, uh, was boxing in the Golden Gloves. Uh, after I graduated high school, uh, went to college for a year, fell back, and then went to the service. So once I came home from the service, uh, I caught my first bid around Desert Storm. Um, you know, my thing was I'm not, you know, trying to serve in no, you know, army and no wars. I was already conscious at that time. Uh, ended up catching a bid and came home in the mix of when hip-hop really started getting its money back on the East Coast, you know. And um, I ran around managing groups, uh, being security for groups, just kind of an all-around individual within that mix and ran with a lot of the, you know, uh, platinum, now platinum selling artists. But in the beginning, it was just, you know, a lot of hype, a lot of promise behind them. Um, I caught another bid. Because uh, during that whole time, I was always in the street. I did my thing in school. I was always progressing. But in the streets, you know, I was a hunter. I was a hunter of men. I had to get that money. You know, I was raising a stick-up kid, so that's what I did. But I always went back to my studies. I always read my my, my, my Panthers uh, books and my Panther uh, 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 newspaper or NOI um, newspapers and you know, going back to the days of the real, to reels of uh, Nation of Islam, you know, listening to, you know, Elijah, uh, Malcolm, Farrakhan, on the reels of real, not on cassettes, not on DVDs, 
or, you know, CDs. They used to come out on reels of reels, you know, the old tapes. You know, always maintain that uh, type of knowledge itself. You want to always have that because that's not going to leave you. That's what keeps you wanting to give back, right? That's your first duty as a civilized person is to spread knowledge. So that never leaves you. So even during my incarcerations, I always gave back. I always was a champion of justice and equality. You dig? So that never left. Uh, once I did almost a decade behind bars, I came home and it was a program that was um, just getting off the ground that one of my uh, buddies that I came up with happened to be spearheading. Um, that program was called uh, Cease Fire. It came out of Chicago. So New York State was adopting it where you had people who were and are credible messengers, you know, credible messengers, somebody who the streets know is somebody who's not a rat um, and can reach those individuals in the street to get them to stop with the gun violence, right, to catch them before they, you know, wreak havoc in the communities. And that's sort of, you know, the beginnings to the present to, you know, kind of be that vessel, that vehicle to, to, you know, to help these younger brothers do what they need to do. So, like, you right, I did uh, skip a bit. And like you said, you, I want to go back to something. Like, you you spoke about, you know, you being conscious of what was going around you, even with your father growing up, um, Mm-hmm. So like when you did out that that hardship again when you had the, uh, when you were incarcerated, mm-hmm. what did you feel that was a setback for you? Like how were you feeling at that point? Well, when I was inside, the, 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 when you're inside, you basically if you are going in the doors from when I went in, I didn't go in as a child. You see what I'm saying? I didn't go in until I was in my twenties. So there was no element of fear. For me, it was more of a waste of time. It was a waste of opportunity. It was a waste of my potential because I knew better. I already knew what it was about. You see what I'm saying? I was more angry with myself for, you know, living in that lifestyle that I was living in, that kind of in and out of the mix. You see what I'm saying? That kind of, you know, you're on one side doing what you're supposed to do because you know who you are and then, again, reverting back to trying to uh, damage the system as much as possible, trying to quote unquote damage Whitey running around with this rage and anger and not having no direction for it. So my thing was it was a waste of potential for me because prison has not been what it once was where you're going through and you're kind of getting this learning. You're kind of finding, you know, other people who guide you through this. It's become a joke now. You know, you have a lot of things that was going on in there that really wasn't. And it, it was just a waste of time for me. It was a waste of time. As I said, when I went in there, I was already a veteran. I already had college under my belt. So there's nothing that I'm going to benefit from in there, you know, at all. There's no more in New York State, there's no more college courses other than theology, you know. You can you can be a, a, a priest. You can have knowledge of the Bible and 
Catholicism and all that if you're in jail. They'll give you a master's degree in that. You understand what I'm saying? But they're not going to give you a master's degree in how to get that boot of depression up up off you. You know what I'm saying? So that's what I studied while I was there. You know, I sharpened my swords up in there, you know, made sure I got all the old books, you know, from my upbringing, you know, and studied them intensely, you know. And that was the main thing for me, knowing that I'm I'm wasting my potential in here. You see what I'm saying? You're not getting nothing in there. As bad as you're doing in the street, you can be a homeless vagrant in the street and kick over a bag of money one day, and that could be your come up. You see what I'm saying? There's always a come up when you're outside in the street, no matter how bad you're doing. But in there, you ain't kicking over shit. You going to chow, and that's about it. Ain't nothing coming through. Nothing. You see what I'm saying? So it's a waste of potential. Now, you can utilize the time to your benefit if you do have a lease date, but every day in there, you can lose your life first day. You see what I'm saying? There's nothing promised to you in there. So, you know, I just utilize my books and utilize the time to put strategies together that I could utilize in there and that people can utilize in the street to keep us safe up out of harm's way while we're working towards our liberation. You see, so, you know, I was, you know, I, I took responsibility for my action, sat back, and let the cards play out. Gotcha, gotcha, absolutely, man. Glad we got back to that point. Um, Another thing, like, so going back to the ceasefire. Mm-hmm. So you you getting involved in the ceasefire. What yeah. were some of the first things that you seen that this program is actually helping people? Well, the program was, was excellent. The way it was written out, the way we was, you know, trained to do it, the way the brothers out of, out of Chicago put it together and presented it. It's an excellent program. You know, it had, it had, its, it had its flaws like anything else. You know what I'm saying? But on a face, the way they trained you to do it, if you stick to the model and do it the same way it was presented back then in 2010, it's very effective. You know, but again, with programs like that, which are nonprofits and things like that, and funded by the government, either one, once they find out what you're doing, what you're actually doing, they're going to take away the funds. <laughs> you see what I'm saying? You're depending on that. Right. Or two, the program going to start getting tweaked into a point where it's ineffective. You understand what I'm saying? So, um, you know, I, I worked it for six years. And um, we definitely, you know, saved a lot of lives with it. You definitely saved a lot of lives with it. Uh, they saved a lot of lives in Chicago. They saved a lot of lives. It's, it's an international uh, program. So it works in, you know, in almost every major city. So, so moving forward, um, you know, I, I know we spoke uh, behind the scenes in regards to, um, in regards to, you know, you're not, like feeling the nonprofit approach and you kind of explained it just now, but can you get a little bit more into detail? Well, it is, it is. Any, any, any program that you are working, uh, 
on his face, it, it can be effective. I mean, it's not uh, rocket science when people do research to uh, needs in a community, right? You see a need, you know, you, you, you want to help and engage and you put something together, right? So now when you're doing that, you're moving on that accord and you're doing the work, you're doing the actual work, you can get a lot done. The trick is now you're trying to reach more people, right, and causing yourself to be uh, uh, exposed to different elements. You dig what I'm saying? So now you're going about, okay, if I have more funds, I can get more work done, which is not always the case, you know. Um, the, the problem with any type of uh, nonprofit it is one dependent on government funding. Either you're going to get government funding or you're going to get private funding. Private funding is scrutinized, right? Because now you have to have big numbers. So say you got a private corporation or private individual, say a LeBron James, say an athlete, say an entertainer, wants to give a certain amount of money to it, there's a whole mess of legalities that come with it. That's why you don't see a lot of them do it. A lot of people always say, well, why the athletes don't give? Why the entertainers don't give? This, that, and the third. One, they have to have somebody that they can trust when they're giving that money up. Somebody with a proven track record of doing the work. How does somebody prove that they're doing the work? They're actually out there doing it, right? So now they're compiling data. They're getting the work done. They got the people that they help. They're moving. You dig what I'm saying? So now, okay, everybody's recognizing you as this. The government is coming in on it straight up. Let you know that right now because now you're occupying space. You know, you got office spaces and things, paying rent. You know, your books are going to be open. Because once you start getting a certain amount of money, right, regardless if it's a nonprofit or for-profit, your books got to be open. The government is coming to look. So a lot of athletes and entertainers don't like that extra eye on what they're doing. If they want to do something, they want to give from the heart, from the heart and turn around. You're like, okay, let it get done and say that they gave. You did? No, I completely understand. So now, so like you know, that being said, I want to mm-hmm. ask you a question. I want to stay right there. So, like, funding is definitely a big issue in the uncultured community. So, like, as far as people actually uh, maybe selling some of their services, are you against that? Depends on the service and depends on, on, on the price. You gotta always understand something. We cannot utilize the strategies and the tactics of our oppressor to better ourselves and think that that's gonna work. So that's not gonna work. So now, when you're saying providing a service, what is the service you're providing and how much of a value are you putting on that service if the service has to do with 
liberating our people, bringing them out of a certain condition. Okay, I got you. You understand? Capitalism capitalism is built on layers, right? Mm -hmm. It's built on layers. And we know that capitalism, right, is the main funding stream for what people want to term as white supremacy. Right? So you got capitalism, you got foundations, corporations, you got legal tenders that pay into a system of white supremacy that we know is oppressing all of us. Right? So how can you take that system, those legal tenders, the tactics and the strategies that they use, put a black face on it, and think that that's okay? What? That's simple to a duck. It's not okay. Right? You cannot replace one oppressor with another oppressor because of a color and think that they get a pass. But this is what they want, and this is what has been happening. They have been giving people passes because they're quote-unquote black. They have been giving organizations passes because they're quote-unquote black. Now we're at a state where they are giving people who they are called quote-unquote woke quote, unquote, aware of self, quote, unquote, conscious, a pass to earn money off of the backs of poor people because they have become information merchants and say that they're doing the work. Mm. Of course, I'm going to have an issue. Mm-hmm. That's what I was about to say. With uh, you have an issue. I noticed that uh, you pinpointed Sarnetta. Do you really have an issue with Sarnetta? I have an issue with any man, any group, or any entity that is oppressing my people. I don't know the man. I've seen him a few times. We have no interaction. Me doing what I do as far as recognizes and looking and gathering intelligence on who these people are. I've popped up at their events quietly, not bringing a bunch of my soldiers and seeing them in the mix of others who they are supposed to have beef with and, you know, issues with. I've seen them right across from each other. I ain't seen nothing come out, no fist being thrown, nobody, no busted lips, swollen eyes, nobody limping up out of the spot. So for me, that's a different language. They don't understand what I understand. If me and somebody has an issue, we're not going to occupy the same space and time. So personally, I don't know the man. I don't know any of them, but I'm telling you that from somebody who's in NYC, who's in New York, I'm watching how these guys are running around on social media and just creating another entertainment zone for people who are supposed to be conscious. That's an issue 
for me because our babies are watching and they are now believing that the conscious community and the woke community is a joke. Bad enough, conventional media always have us in a comical role. Anytime you see the brother in all black and militant, he's made the joke. He's, you know, he's the butt of the joke. You know what I'm saying? He's the one that's murdered quick, fast. He's the one not to be taken seriously. So now, when you have people with the actual knowledge of self and actual consciousness doing this on a stage, such as social media, you're doing a discredit. You're pushing us back. So, of course, there's going to be an issue. You see what I'm saying? But am I going to, you know, allow them to elevate me to where, you know, I'm going to put the wall paint on? No, because I know and understand that sooner or later, you know what I'm saying, they're going to be a victim of their own truth. In order for me and mine to come out, you know, I have to, you know, really make a true assessment of how much of a danger they are to the greater community. Gotcha. So, like, um, under like with like with celebrity and um, people having different platforms. I know, mm-hmm. like Queen Slip. I know um, him. You know, even putting these guys on this platform, and even coming with the um, the whole situation with the Malcolm X debate, right. he said that more so. You know, people like him are having that platform. I know that some people might take uh, platforms like his mind as jokes. Then, when it comes to the conscious community, but right. he's saying that these kids still need these eyeballs seeing this type of material. What do you What do you think about that? Well, I don't, for one, I don't think brothers such as you, Queens, um, Gully, uh, especially, you know, Doggy Diamond, these are not platforms that are jokes. This is not a joke. You brothers are our new age leaders. You are the new age propaganda machine. It's not a joke. You people enlighten our babies every day. It's not a joke. I don't care if you talk about the entertainment industry for six or seven shows. That show that you give people a dose of consciousness is very important. Because if you got six, seven, eight, nine thousand listening, you do the numbers. All you need is 100, 150 individuals to take something from your show to heart and for them to move on it. So it's not a joke. It's not a game. Not for me. And not for anybody who really does the science to liberation process. You people, you men, you women who have these platforms are very, very important. The Panthers only had one propaganda machine. Malcolm had a propaganda machine the way he utilized the conventional media. But you guys are, are, are terrific. Get on this internet, this social media. This shit is global now. So it's not a joke. It's not a game. You're a serious individuals here that's providing a, a, a damn good uh, uh, service to the community. You understand? That's the work. That's the work. So it's not a joke. 
So when queens do it, you understand? When death of the clown do it, when they say it, these kids are taking this shit to heart. They saying it what? must be truthful because they have them on their platform. So it's not funny. It's not a game. And any time I'm on one of these platforms, I'm on it. It is the utmost sign of respect. I'm on it, and I don't play games with it. Not at all. So now when the babies are watching, whether they're watching and listening tonight or they're watching and listening next week or they're watching and listening three or four years from now, this is a, this is a permanent stamp. So when we give them jewels, you dig what I'm saying? We doing right, things that our, people, our, uh, that, that, that our elders couldn't do. Just imagine, I came up in the age where all we had were books. If you didn't get that book from a certain person, you never even seen it. There's still books that you that, that that our youth have not seen yet. That I know is a basic standard principle when you're walking towards that light, when you need that liberation, when you're trying to follow that north star. But if they could come on death with a clown and get it just by pushing the button on their phone, come on. What's funny about that? Like the way that's well put. And uh there's nothing funny about that. This ain't no game. And 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 you're not a game. You understand? This is power. Right. So like I want I wanna ask you a question. And this is like coming from a lot of your work and your experience. You working mm-hmm. with uh, fathers and getting them back together. As far as uh, being around their, their kids and being a stand-up right. mm-hmm. Um, what are some of the biggest obstacles that you see inside this community? Well, the biggest obstacles is um, women and men utilizing uh, the system as a weapon. They weaponizing um, ACS or you know whatever whatever titles you you have in different cities um, to take their children away from each other, you know, whether it's valid or it's not valid, but it's being used as a weapon and it's causing a lot of uh, harm and hurt. Some of it is not repairable, you dig? So I see that, you know what I'm saying, as a um, something that we really have to get in check. You know, because anybody nowadays can be a mandated reporter and just say anything and your kids could be taken away from you. You see what I'm saying? You could be the best of a parent and you could be a couple together. If somebody reports that you and your wife or you and your child's mother abused a child or said something wrong or your child uh, happens to make the wrong decision around the wrong people, you got a ACS investigation. Absolutely. Okay? So now that you have uh, a generation, which was my generation previous, where they utilized the prison system, right, to enslave us and to make money for this country, now you have people who smartened up and never been to prison, never, you know, broke the law, but they have to get them. Right, they have to get more than their regular tax dollars from these people. So now ACS 
right, is, is weaponized to get that. Because once you catch that case, a whole new crop of people in the system get paid off of your misfortune. You got the ACS judges, the ACS stenographers, uh, the court building, the ACS um what do you have? Court officers in there. Uh, all these programs and institutions and, and mechanisms are paid now off of that misfortune, right? Who really don't care about the child. They just want to activate. Now, certain cases where you have, you know, drug addicted parents or, you know, absentee parents and the kids are severely impoverished and things of that nature, okay, we need something in place to kind to. Uh, bring the children up out of that. But now it's being utilized so much that, you know, what what can these people do? Because once you get caught up in it, it's not no one, two, three thing. Once you get caught up in it, the average uh, ACS investigation is six months to a year. And that's how I meet these fathers, because they're mandated to come to this program. They're mandated to get uh, either anger management and parenting skills are all three. Parenting skills, anger management, domestic violence, batteries, accountability, certificate. So that's, you know, just being with me alone, that's 12 to 16 weeks. You understand what I'm saying? Not to mention going back and forth to ACS court, taking time off from work, you know, and everything that's involved with it. So that's being used as a weapon to further distance our people you know, from reaching our goal, keeping us another level behind. You know, what's, what's becoming more and more prevalent is people that come from outside of the country who have different value systems, right? Our brothers coming from the continent, people coming from the Caribbean, people coming from Asia, where there are mainly uh, male-dominant presence in their home and how they conduct themselves, and they come to this country and catch the case. You see what I'm saying? Is if you know, it's a game. So the best way to prevent all of that is to have knowledge of it, to know exactly what's going on. Us as black people who have been here know how to get around certain systems. But right now, our main thing is life preserving. The preservation of black life is being attacked. It's already been activated. We already know about the racial discrimination. We already know about the imprisonment, but now they're coming after black bodies, black organs, right? Rituals and all type of craziness. So prevention is the key. Our people have to soldier up. So it's not about how many books you don't read. It's not about how many documentaries you don't watch. It's not about what you can quote and debate. It's about putting in the work and actually changing the direction of people's lives so they can have a life and securing time and space in order for us to grow. Absolutely, man. I definitely dig that. Um, and, and moving forward, man, I, know I don't want to keep you, uh, I know you got things to do, but um, what's next? Well, next, right now, I have a uh, a network of brothers in New York City that uh, we are um, formulating a strategy to keep our black women safe and out of harm's way. 
there's been a new phenomenon over the about two or three years where our women are being severely disrespected, attacked, raped, and robbed by young men, by black men, right? And we are uh, on alert and on alarm. So we're um, actually working with a few different organizations to get together, right, to actually be in the streets and having people have specific jobs to keep our women safe. Uh, One of the such um, networks is called the ASADA Alert Network, right? And the framework for that is coming out of the prisons. Uh, There's a few solid brothers that's in prison now that sent out the skeleton framework for the network. So I'm working with uh, those brothers on that, along with um, reaching back to some of the established um, organizations and networks of men, such as the Nation of Gods and Nerds, such as the Damus, such as the, you know, the, the Crips and the folks and anybody out there in the streets, right, that really claiming something, let's start claiming life. Let's start claiming our black women because we don't have our black women. We don't have them at all. We don't have them. The black man has lost his queen. So all them dudes talking about they playing chess. Ain't none of y'all playing chess because you have lost your fucking queen. And I'm going to say it and say it loud. We don't have our queen. We don't employ her. We don't educate her. We don't protect her. We don't provide anything for her. The society does it. These people do it. And in order to get that queen back, we have to be able to have our own institutions to do that. At any time when you have another man saying to her, listen, I give you a 401k. I got health care for you. You see what I'm saying? You come sit down and work for me for eight hours. I got this check for you. And after 25 years, I got retirement for you. She's acknowledging him as her man, whether she want to believe it or not. In order to get your queen to leave that bullshit alone because you know she's being holed, that man is hoeing her out, telling her when she could go on vacation, telling her how much time she could spend with her kids, telling her if she could even have a man. So what does she do? Okay, I'm with you, Pops. You got me. I'm straight. I ain't got to worry about you. You dig what I'm saying? Until you get your queen back on the board, you done off. So we have to start first by protecting her physically. Then we can get into her mental and get her reconditioned and re-trusting us. Because every time she gave us the trust, we fucked it up. We pimped her out. We put her on a stripping pole. We sold out into the industry. So she's doing ghetto gaggers and all that kind of frowl shit just to get in the movie and all type of bullshit. Or we beat her kids. Or she see us drunk on the corner all day, every day while she working for this dude. Fuck she need us for. So our main job is to get our queen back. And we can only do that if we can prove to her that we can protect her. Then we can start working on everything else. Absolutely. So uh, with that being said, man, we definitely appreciate you blessing uh, Death of the Cloud Chaser TV, man, our podcast, and uh, giving us some slight insight on Kareem Bay. And uh, 
Can you, can you give me your social media? Oh, my social media is always my government because it's always public. You dig what I'm saying? I'm Karim, K-A-R-I-M Johnson on Facebook. Uh, same thing on Twitter. Uh, my Instagram is Blizz, B-L-I-Z, double underscore, East New York, E-N-Y. Blizz, B-L-I-Z, double underscore, E-N-Y. Uh, you can find me on social media. You can look up uh, my books on Kindle. On Amazon, can do uh, direct press. You know, I'm all over. I'm all over. People have access to me. They have direct access. DM me. Uh, inbox me. You dig? I'm not hiding. I'm public all the way around. You dig? Because oh, I definitely. know I'm only a vessel of the truth. I don't own it. I got to share it. Our babies is coming up, and we cannot leave for them what was left for us. You see what I'm saying? They left us institutions to enslave us, to miseducate us, to underemploy us. We can't leave that for them, right? Something has to stop. Right. And I'm sorry about that. I said uh, your last name, Babe, but I was thinking of uh, Cosmology. Oh, yeah, Cosmology. Yeah, because Cosmology, babe, that's my young comrade, Kareem Bay. That's my young comrade. We got, everywhere I go, he's there, right? We do this together. You dig? So definitely shout out to Bay. Uh, shout out to Bullets Gotti, Doggy Diamonds, you know, all social media platforms. And y'all, y'all are our propaganda machine. Don't let anybody ever try to discredit you or act as if what you're doing has no importance. I don't care what truth you you expound and expose on. You guys are next. You are our Ed Bradleys. You dig what I'm saying? You are the ones who are going to take this to the next level. So I definitely appreciate you having me on. Um, I'm always available. Reach out. Any information, you know, that needs to be you know, expounded on, especially here in NYC or Brooklyn, any events y'all need, you know, clarification on, I'm here. Hit me up. Absolutely, man. Blessings. Uh, I uh, asked the chat that they have any questions. Man, they pretty much in support with everything you said. So with that being said, man, salute, man. Blessings. Yes, salute. Peace and power to the people of the struggle. A divine mind knows, a divine mind shows. We will win. I guarantee y'all, we will win. Peace and power.